Hello and welcome to episode 3 of History Between the Lines. Today we're going to talk about the German Luger pistol. And to talk about it I'm joined by Alex Pitts. So um, you think the Luger is overrated as um, a sidearm. Why? (laughs) Definitely. uh, There's a lot of famous side to it as... In the films, people have heard of it, people recognise it very easily. Um, The reason I see it as being overrated is the mechanism inside it, whilst being very advanced for the time period, is overcomplicated. The fine tolerances in them, they're just expensive and unreliable in a military side of things, whereas I suppose for a target pistol for civilian purchase, it's pretty good. It's like every other pistol of the time period. So the original story to how the Luger came about, you have to talk about its predecessor pistol, which is called the Borchard C93. Uh, It was designed by a fellow called Hugo Borchard, hence the Borchard in the name, and the 93 being its first year of production, 1893, which is before the Luger, which started production in 1900. Both him and Georg Luger, the fellow from the Luger pistol, worked for a company called DWM, a German manufacturer of firearms, and in 1893 was really the first self-loading pistol, or semi-automatic pistol, whichever, they both mean the same thing, and it was the first step in it, and essentially Hugo Borchardt refused to do anything to the pistol to make it any better, though his superiors at DWM wanted to upgrade it, they wanted to make it a bit more ergonomic, a bit more useful, reliable. He refused. He thought his pistol was the best thing since sliced bread and just didn't want anything to do with upgrading it. DWM, who owned the patent, went to Georg Luger and basically told him, can you make this better, redesign it, while still doing almost the same thing. And so... Luger never produced it from the ground up. He essentially modified it or upgraded it, whichever word you want to use, to what it would become. Started production in 1900 in a 7mm cartridge. And then in 1904, after the Germans refused to adopt it, they changed it to a 9mm because the Germans wanted a more powerful cartridge for the handgun. And the Navy bought a few thousand of them in 1904. And after a few years of it being in service and being better than their previous revolver, they adopted it in 1908 as their standard service pistol for all of the German armed forces at the time. So it would be the common handgun that an officer would carry with them during World War I. It was then seceded by the Walther P-38, hence 38-1938, Uh, used a similar few ideas on how it works, but again, tried to make it cheaper, more reliable, quicker in production. Still used the same cartridge, but a different pistol, and that would be the standard service pistol during World War II, but leftover stocks of Lugers, and being as though the Germans wanted to use whatever they could get their hands on at the time, you'd still find Lugers on battlefields during World War II, just nowhere near the rate as you would from World War One, or as much as you'd find a Walther P-38. Mm. 
So it was one of the innovative things about the Luger, the fact that um, its mechanism allowed the um, shock of a bullet leaving the gun to be absorbed. So there's a few things that make the Luger a bit more accurate in its mechanism as opposed to a revolver, being as though the, as you say, the recoil assembly for the pistol produces a lot of the energy or, or uses a lot of the energy to reload the weapon or, or load the next cartridge in is probably the better way of wording it. Um, it's using the mechanism. It's, it's got springs inside it that do lots of different pieces to operate the weapon, whereas a revolver is very simple. It just moves to the next cylinder, uh, part of the cylinder, next cartridge. There's a lot less going on. And so if you've got something in a similar power, the revolver as opposed to the Luger, you're going to find a difference in the way that it's, it feels in your hand when you shoot it. The Luger is an extremely accurate pistol when it's kept clean. And this is yet part of the mechanism, part of the way that it's made. And a lot of those things would also still be wanted from the Walther P38 to keep that accuracy. The Germans, for some odd reason wanted the most accurate pistol they could get. They didn't regard the reliability as being the most important part of the pistol. Mm. They wanted accuracy for some reason. I appreciate it's not going to be what every soldier has and it's not going to be something you're fighting someone with at 100 metres or even longer. Mm. And um, and the need to keep it clean didn't work that well for them during the First World War when they were fighting in mud, rain, snow... Um, all the time, obviously at the front line at the western and eastern fronts. So is that maybe the Achilles heel of the Luger um, during the First World War especially? It, it really wasn't possible to keep it clean when you were at the front and it wouldn't um, work as well as it did. So yeah, being as though warfare obviously changed very quickly at the start of World War One, I, I don't think anyone expected there to be trenches dirt and debris flying around everywhere so there wasn't an expected priority on reliability of your weapons there's obviously some reliability but it didn't need to be at the forefront of it and the Luger as I previously mentioned at the start overcomplicated too many fine tolerances dirt and debris gets inside the mechanism of it and it's going to stop immediately because of that and so there wasn't uh, need for that with revolvers because it just changes to the next part of the cylinder, fires the next round with a Luger, you can then have to cock the pistol to eject the case or cartridge that's not working, whether it didn't eject, whether it didn't load or it misfired then you've got to let the next round in see if that one works and even if you can get it open the, the toggle lock system on them can seize up if part of the mechanism mechanism goes wrong and taking the pistol apart also isn't an easy feat i appreciate being it's still at the first 20 years of handguns in semi-automatic pistols being produced they're not going to be the best thing ever yet but there were better pistols at the time that used a better system browning's pistols which all used a slide on top of them were all far more reliable cheaper to produce less mechanically complex and so taking apart a Luger in a trench when someone's shooting at you, when there's bombs going off near you, artillery shells going off near you, it's not going to go well. There's little bits that you can drop. Things have to be put back in the correct way. It's, it's fiddly and finicky. They're just not the best. 
What did German soldiers um, at the time during the First World War think of the Luger? Did they um, did they take to it, or did they recognise these weaknesses and um, not use it much when they were fighting? So I think, especially at the start of the war, before trenches, before dirt and debris kind everywhere, there was an extremely high favourability towards it. As I mentioned before, that the Navy first purchased the pistol and then the army adopted it, they definitely had a high affinity for it, as well being as though the previous service handgun, which was a revolver, called a Reich's revolver, it's ginormous, it's heavy, it doesn't have an ejector on it, you manually have to eject the casings out with anything you can find. There wasn't an ejector rod, it's not like a pistol where you cock it and a casing comes out, you have to find something on the floor to push the shell casings out of it with. It's heavy, and so you've got this new pistol that's lighter, it's smaller, holds more cartridges, the cartridges are more powerful. It's more accurate. There was no downside to it other than perhaps the fact that you just have to cock the hammer back again and it will fire the next part of the cylinder. Again, if you're Luger jams, you might be able to do it a bit quicker with the Reich's revolver, but you can't just pull the trigger. It's single action, meaning you have to cock the hammer back, then pull the trigger. And it has a very hard hammer on it. It, it, It's a very rough revolver. So it would have been fantastic to get these brand new Lugas. Lots of other countries were still using revolvers. Pistols, the forefront, you know, we're one of the first countries where every officer gets a semi-automatic pistol. Fantastic. It it probably was the best thing. But again, you've got one of those that has jammed and someone's charging at you, you know, a bayonet charge or there's multiple of them charging at you and your pistol's jammed you're going to shake in your boots. So um, is the Luger maybe an example of something that had been developed before the First World War and they thought, um, this is brilliant, this is an example of advanced warfare, but, you know, barely anyone realised what the First World War would actually be like in terms of trenches, front lines barely moving. So it was the case of they thought they had something new but um, they had no idea how um, obsolete it could become in the situation they were about to face. Because nobody knew, really, the situation they were about to face in 1914. It was one of the biggest changes in the last, I suppose, few centuries to how warfare is fought. Being as though we mentioned how accurate the pistol is, if you think to how wars were fought just before World War I, you've got lines of soldiers in volleys... you're going to need something that's got a bit more accuracy, a bit more range, because whilst, yes, you've only got a pistol as opposed to your fellow next to you who's got a rifle, you're still going to need a bit more accuracy because other than a bayonet charge, you're not going to be right in front of each other. And so that was probably the major need for the accuracy. But yeah, as soon as it came to the new type of warfare, whilst I don't know if I'd consider it obsolete because there's, there's... a lot of other pistols at the time that would have been adopted by other countries that had features that were worse than it, but then there were other parts that were better. So it, it, it was kind of in, in the mix of it, and, and the reason I emphasise so much on the fact that I believe it's overrated is just because of how famous it is. When you think World War One or just German World War pistols, the Luger comes out before anything else, before pretty much any other country's handguns. And I just don't think people appreciate that whilst, yeah, it's new, it's the best thing, 
it wasn't the best thing. There's other no. countries that had better pistols. There were other countries that had pistols that were probably about as equal. Yeah. And uh, as you said, you know, in films and TV series about both world wars, the Luger is always there as the German sidearm. There are even some TV series that portray the Luger as quite a rare find. So, um, and as a result of how famous it is, it's one of the most expensive guns today for collectors. For um, for the world of handguns, definitely around the world, it is one of the most expensive pistols that you can purchase purely because of how famous it became. Whilst it shouldn't be associated as much with World War Two as the Walther P thirty eight definitely became the main pistol, I think because of sentiments from World War One, people knew the Luger existed. And when they found one, you know, on a dead German, maybe found it in an armory, found it wherever you might find them, they knew what it was already. It wasn't this new fandangled thing they'd never heard of and probably didn't care as much about. They knew what a Luger was. They wanted a Luger. It was already an historical object. Everyone knew it what was it was at the time as well. It was already famous. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it just became this desirable thing that you'd see other soldiers, you know. It was, but a Luger yeah. was the... Um, Collectible. Was the memento. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you, Alex, for a very brief history of the Luger pistol. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode of History Between the Lines, and see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks.